Hello world, welcome to another episode of The Deep Dive with Eyal Shai. My guest today is Derek Sivers. Hi Derek. Hi y'all. It's really good to have you on. Uh, thanks for coming on. Um, and without further ado, as the custom goes, uh, I'd love to for us to do a deep dive on something which is related to your latest book, which I listened to and loved. So it is called How to Live 27 Conflicting Answers and One Weird Conclusion. Um, and I really, really enjoyed it. And the... I think the most striking thing, and it's in the title, is is just the format of it and what it sets out to do. And uh, an idea that's kind of struck me right away is an idea that has been in the back of my mind for, for a number of years, but I think really kind of very naturally came to the forefront uh, after reading this book. And that's the idea of authority or um, authorship. And um, yeah, I'd really love to maybe build on that and explore that and see how it relates to, to your book. Um, so I'd like to ask you when it comes to the, um, to the format and um, the, the giving of answers, the authority part, um, mm -hmm. What are your what is your relationship with this concept and kind of the concept of giving advice and um, yeah just straightforwardly uh, telling people what to do? Okay, um, first to explain the format of the book, um, did you read the book "Some" by David Eagleman? So I I haven't. I know that yours is okay. is based on that one. Yeah. Okay. So for anybody listening and for you too um the my book called how to live is an homage to a book called some by david eagleman uh which was my favorite format of any book i've ever read because it's 40 short stories um each one answering the question what happens when you die and it feels like it's written by 40 different authors each with a different idea, and then somebody compiled it into a book. But what's fascinating is that it's one author that just answers the same question in 40 different ways, right? So what happens when you die? And he writes a two-page story about what happens when you die. And then again, what happens when you die? He writes a different two-page story about what happens when you die. And they're, they're, in this case, they're little fictional stories. You know, in, in one, you wake up in a mansion and you walk around forever. In another one, you find out you're an artificial intelligence program. And in another, you're, uh, you know, whatever. So I think it's such a fun creative exercise to do that for yourself. Like, uh, even if you're a musician and I were to say, Eol, uh, write me a song about a waterfall. And you'd write it and say, I'd say, okay, now write a different song about a waterfall. And you'd write a second one. I'd say, okay, now write a different song about a waterfall. Can you imagine <laughs> doing that 40 times? Like what a creative right. challenge that would be to make yourself write 40 different songs about a waterfall. So I love this book, Some, by David Eagleman. Read it twice over two years. And suddenly one day, as I was driving around the road, driving down the road, I had this lightning bolt of inspiration. I was like, oh. Oh my God, I want to write a book called How to Live in that format, where mm -hmm. I answer the question of how you should live your life like 40 different ways. It turned out to be 27 in my case. Um, 
But I'm not just going to invent it like a short story. In this case, I'm actually going to put everything I've learned about life into this one book. Because there are conflicting approaches you can take to life. You could say that the most important thing in life is to live in the present moment. Focus only on the now. Everything else is either memories or imagination. The only thing that's real is this very moment. So therefore, that's how you should live. But on the other hand, we should all be living for the future, right? We should make a brighter tomorrow. We should, we should improve our future selves and our future life. We should make the world a better place for future generations. In fact, that's the answer to how to live. We should live entirely for the future. It's like, wait, wait, wait. No, 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 no. The way to live is to make memories. Like, what good is a life at the end of your life if you can't remember it at all? It was wasted. No, in fact, the best way to live is to make memories. That's what's really important. So I believe all of these. And so that's what was so exciting to me about writing How to Live, is I did it in the format of the book Sum, where I answer the same question, How to Live, 27 times, and each chapter disagrees with the rest. So there's just the context for for you and for anybody listening. Yeah. Um, yeah, so this is uh, the, the thing that's striking about it, you know, is that taking each one of these um, in isolation, it's, it's very well written rhetorically. And I think that it made me, it made me think about the human tendency of uh, looking looking for authority figures to kind of um, mm. tell us what to do. And yes. also because um, they are so extreme and they have like a, a very, a very narrow focus in each chapter, right? It's also something about how these authority figures, the people who um, are willing to step into the shoes of an authority figure. I think they also take advantage of the fact that as humans, we really want that strong emphasis on like only, you know, it's like, this is the one thing, right? Yes. The, and um, I just love how this is. Um, yeah. Basically the, this whole, this whole project of, doing something that's rhetorically impressive and persuasive, you're at the same time like undermining it very much yes, by, yes. By, doing, <laughs> uh, by doing it 27 different times. So I really wanted to ask you, yeah, what, um, for you, what is, the, what is the lesson to be taken from the fact that there are conflicting things in there? I love that you brought this up. So when I got your email... Before we spoke today, um, part of the reason I wanted to come have this conversation with you is you're the first person to ever say this, this idea of undermining <laughs> the authority. But I love that you said this because part of the, let me back up. We've all seen books that have one strong opinion on how you should be running your life or how you should be running a business or what approach you should be taking to love and relationships. And basically every book or guru out there acts like they've got the answer. Like, no, no, this is it. This is how you should be running your business. You should value this and that. You should approach this exactly like that. This is it. This is how you should do it. My thesis, my conclusion, and therefore I am right and this is what you should do. But then we can go read a different book that's also a bestseller, that also lots of 
thousands of people have said that they uh, love and has helped him. And you read that one and it completely disagrees with the other book, right? So we're all used to that. And to me, it was just so fun, this idea of doing it in one book, like each little <laughs> chapter, which is only a few pages, disagrees with every other chapter. And by doing so, yes, it is intentionally kind of making fun of other books or gurus that act like they've got the answer, because it's also pointing out that there is no one answer. Um, just like there's not just one instrument in an orchestra, um, which is, uh, I'm giving away a bit of the ending, I'm spoiling it a bit, but uh, but yeah, the, at the end of the book, there is a picture of an orchestra, and that's why. It's a reminder that you don't ask the composer, um, what is the correct instrument of the orchestra? Which mm. one is right? Right. <laughs> you know, yeah. It's a combination, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, you know, and it's it's interesting because in my life, I know from my life that I think pretty much every young person goes through this phase when we're starting to look outside and we're starting to look at how to live, right? And we're looking up to these people with the answers. And for many of us, I think the default is basically to subscribe to one of them, at least for a short period of time yeah. and get this, um, this sense that you now have a truth, right? right? And it's something is like flaring up in you in, in that sense. And you want to go and talk about, maybe proselytize, spread the word, whatever. And I'm, I'm wondering like where that uh, met you. And if you remember an instance in your life where you were coming across something like that and um, yeah, was it followed by a kind of disillusion that down the road led you to um, kind of make fun of the, of the whole concept? Hmm. Good question. By the way, I love that we're having this conversation from Jerusalem. <laughs> a place where you have this pile of rocks called the Wailing Wall, this pile of rocks that holds up the cross, that pile of rocks that's the uh, this you know legendary mosque, and uh, they all kind of disagree with each other <laughs> on what's the answer. You're, you're living in that. Uh... Yes. Um, so um, yeah, it's related to religion, isn't it? This idea, this comforting idea that you've found the answer right um mm -hmm. that this is it i'm just going to believe this those others are wrong it's comforting it's it gives us a sense of security it's a human need isn't it to have this sense of security and certainty um we like that feeling we don't want to feel that the the rug has been yanked out from under us that actually we can't trust or believe anything that's a scary idea for a lot of people or a scary feeling we don't like that so even then like if you know what do you do if somebody pulls the rug out from under you your hands reach around for something to grab onto we want to steady ourselves you know we don't enjoy toppling over so um sorry your real question is uh did i in my past have something that i really subscribed to um yeah, but I think I've always enjoyed changing. Um, mm. I've always enjoyed the the act of metaphorically picking up something and looking at it from another point of view, right? Like imagine that you've got a complex gem 
in your hand, picture a ruby or something like that. It's one thing to look at it, but of course the first thing you do is you turn it over and you turn it around and you look at it from different points of view. Like that's how you get to know it is by looking at it, like lifting it up and turning it around, shining the light through it, you know, and then holding it down. Uh, and I think it's like that with life. It's, it's, you need to see it from different perspectives to understand it. That's one of the best things is to see different perspectives. Yeah, yeah, I I completely agree. And um, in in my practice of of dialectic, that's I mean, if you went around and looked at the concepts of perspective and aspect, that's literally it. The perspective is your new position from which you're looking mm. at the thing, and the aspect mm -hmm. is that side of the diamond that you're seeing right now. So you know you're seeing something right. which is truly part of the thing, but not the whole thing, right? So you want to go at it like 360 degrees and in three dimensions um, to uncover as much as possible uh, from the truth. And then if you've done it enough times, you have a good grasp of what something is. Otherwise, it's fleeting too. Even if you've seen an aspect and let go of it, you forget, right? Which would be a good case to tell people to uh, read your book multiple times if possible because I think something needs to to stick and we have to practice um, for it to happen um, yeah it's, Wait, if, uh, if you don't mind mm -hmm. um, I want to ask you something um, sure we don't need to we can forget about the how to live book for a minute but just on this subject of <laughs> different beliefs um, so let me just tell a little story and I want to ask your thoughts on this sure. um, so imagine that every day you go on a long run through the forest. And anytime you're going on a long run, you have issues of motivation, keeping you going when you feel like quitting, helping you get to the end quickly. Um, so usually what you do is you imagine a pot of gold at the finish line. And that gets you going. That motivates you. But one day you decide to try imagining that there's a tiger right behind you and you find that that motivates you even more. That fear keeps you pushing, pushing and never slowing down for a second. Mm -hmm. So now your time is even faster. And then let's say a running coach uh, gives the advice that you should try imagining that the ground is hot coals and to run like that. And that actually improves your technique and keeps you on the tips of your toes a little more. And so you don't get to the end faster, but you find that you could go longer this way. You're not as tired as when you're landing on your heels. It keeps you on the tips of your toes. And so you've been doing this a lot. And um, eventually you just try different things that make your daily run more fun. One day you try closing your eyes while running through the forest and seeing how long you can keep your eyes closed. And it, it makes you listen more. One day you just try uh, singing the whole time you're taking the walk. One day you stick your arms out like an airplane. It's just fun to try different things on your daily run. And then you've been doing your run so much that one day you decide to bring a shovel because there are all these rocks and bumps and sometimes holes on the trail. And you realize, you know what? I'm not the only person that runs here. I'm going to make this trail a better place for everyone else. And even though it gets you to the finish line later, of course, you you use your shovel to, to dig up uh, bumps and fill in holes and it makes it a better place and you feel much better now, even though it didn't get you to the end quickly. Mm -hmm. So you can tell I'm 
doing this all like metaphorically, right? Um, but if somebody were to come along and say, okay, now what's the correct way to run? We need to figure out once and for all, what's the, what's the best way to run? Is it the pot of gold at the end of the rainbow or is it the, the tiger behind you? Um, or is it with your eyes closed? There is no right answer. It's you, you used different beliefs for different purposes. And in fact, you enjoyed changing the beliefs just for fun. And most importantly, absolutely none of these beliefs were true. So anybody trying to find the answer is actually just asking you to kind of pick a story that you like. Like, mm. what's your favorite movie? Um, so, uh, yeah, Mr. Dialectic. <laughs> like, how does this apply to you? I'm curious. Yeah, that, that's a really good um, question. First of all, yeah, by all means, I think we should, and uh, this is something that I discussed before in the podcast, but I myself have this kind of, of belief and kind of origin story bordering on a, on a kind of personal myth that I carry around with me um around the, the figure of the phoenix and i know that it's not something that's real right i don't i don't think that it's real i don't think that it's due but it's something that pushes me forward and helps me overcome um hardships because um you know it's a thing that rejuvenates every time and revives mm. itself after time and it's this kind of thing that really does good for you right and it's 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 outside the realm of you know logic or or how it's going to do things right so um i'm definitely already feeling like i i know something firsthand about playing with with such thing and yeah i think you're you're absolutely right whatever works for you you know the part that i like the most about your little story is the part where you went and fixed potholes because my life uh sorry my my wife um, who is also my life in a way. Uh, my wife is a lot into uh, natural parkour and natural movement. And in that point, she would say, oh, finally, he's doing something that's kind of working on his range of motion, that's diversifying his movement and something oh, like that. So huh. that's what came to my mind, um, that mm. you might even serendipitously do something that's even better for you than just running, than just doing the same thing over and over again, but actually doing mm. something else that is beneficial to you because it's going to synergize with the endurance. Now you're going to have strength too. Um, so yeah, I, I really like it. And absolutely, you can be playful with different things and arrive at the results that you want. Um, it also brings something to my mind, which I intended to ask you anyway. So how to live, um, this podcast is about living well, ultimately, and featuring people who are coming with ideas that have helped them live well. Um, wh why not how to live well? Like why, how to <laughs> live? <laughs> um, I guess it's just implied. I think it's, um. It's just a kind of a saying, isn't it? Like we say, what's the meaning of life? We mm -hmm. don't say like, what is the meaning of a good life? We just say, what's the meaning of life? And the other adjectives are assumed. Yeah. And that is that is so fascinating that you bring it up because I have a five-minute rant on YouTube that I put up that I think is 
we shorten this thing specifically about the meaning of life when people say, but I think that the, the shortening with the meaning of life is like, at first it's for convenience, but then later on, people actually forget the well part. Um, so that was interesting. I saw a correlation there with, um, with authorities, like to take it back to the concept um, that they like to be the theme of this, with authorities that are giving you a how to live um, and they create a sort of an algorithm for you, right? Like a code. If that, then mm. and act like that. And um, the codes that people follow never actually work for them if you actually stick with one code. Um, ah. Which is really interesting because humanity has gone through several iterations of these codes. I think it begins with an ancestral code. That is pretty much our, our ancestors did it this way. So you're going to do it exactly this way. And then it develops right. into a religious code, maybe. And then mm -hmm. even though it seems distinct, a code of law is not all that different from religion. And in every iteration, we find that it doesn't bring us this sustainable stability into our societies. And I think this is what I like the most about just immediately giving conflicting answers because like you say it's pulling the rug out of the whole um project there of trying to find one code and then it provides a natural segue i think into authorship which is the kind of adjacent concept because then it puts the onus on you to be an mm. author of your own story right like um there's a thing in fiction called the unreliable narrator, which is when you're taking in a story, it could be a movie or whatever. In fact, well, I'll, I'll use movie examples. You're taking in a story and it seems at first like the person telling the story is giving you the real story. And every now and then some movies play with this and it turns out that you can't really trust what they're showing you, right? So there's, um, let's say the movie Forrest Gump. Forrest Gump uh, is very naive. And so he tells the story understanding from his limited point of view what he understood to be true. But then the screen shows you a different perspective that's like, oh, that's not what was really happening. Forrest just didn't understand. And eventually mm. you learn like, okay, I'm going to hear the story is told by Forrest Gump, but I can't really believe everything he's saying. Uh, the movie Memento was not super popular, but is a brilliant example of this because it's a story of somebody with really bad memory loss. And then it's his movie. He's the one telling the movie. So all we ever see are short little two-minute snippets. And in fact, the whole movie's played backwards through these two-minute snippets that go backwards in time. Um, so we learn that we can't trust what we're being shown. And um, I think the most popular, well, I, the other most popular example of this is Pulp Fiction, where in that case, this is maybe more like my How to Live book, Pulp Fiction was shown in scenes that only show you one perspective at a time. So first we just see the perspective from the hitman, <laughs> you know, in a certain scene. And mm. then later in the movie, they'll show you that same scene but from the perspective of the guy hiding in the closet. 
And so we know that we're only being shown one perspective at a time, and the other one will come later to give you a bigger idea of what's happening. So with each of these, yeah, the unreliable narrator is fascinating for the viewer because, yes, we at first want to just buy into the story and believe what we're watching, and eventually you learn like, oh, hold on, I'm just going to have to suspend judgment because there's more to the story. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So I'm wondering, like, in in your life, if that's the if that's the the default to be kind of suspicious about perspectives, right? And I think we should correctly <laughs> yeah. be correctly be suspicious of our own perspective sometimes because Ooh, we can yeah. be oh, it, biased, yes. right? Uh, yes. So, I mean, wh I where does that, that meet you? <laughs> well, I mean, first, yeah, okay, we'll do others, then we'll do ourselves. That, yeah, I. Um, you asked this question earlier about like, have I ever been? Have I ever subscribed completely to a point of view and then changed my mind or lost uh, uh, belief in it? Um, so yeah, I think any of us who have done that, whether it's in the big, huge, life-changing one, like you know, growing up with one religion and then changing it or letting go of it, or vice versa, or um, even just a certain methodology, you know, maybe you subscribe to uh, a certain book that you read and you said, this is the way. And you did it for a while until you found out it wasn't. Some people get disillusioned by just finding out more about the author. There's a really legendary book called Think and Grow Rich by Napoleon Hill. Mm -hmm. And massive million bestseller. And Napoleon Hill talked about how, you know, Gandhi ordered 6,000 copies of his books for his followers. And he talked about how... <sighs> how the book came from his meetings with one of the richest men of all time. Um, and uh, I forget who he said it was. Turns out later, a journalist went back and found out that all of this stuff was just lies. Gandhi never <laughs> ordered his book. He never met with this legendary billionaire. Like, all of it was lies. And the guy was just uh, basically a salesman selling lies, like whatever he could right. do to sell a book. And it was all made up. But it's like, even though that's the case, um, do you now disbelieve everything in that book? Um, to me, the answer is no, is that you should take... That's the, that's the point of my story about the running in the forest, is that it doesn't mm -hmm. matter whether it's true or not. All that matters is whether it works for you. And if a drunk person at a bar gives you some advice... And even the, the person giving it is a miserable failure, but it's good advice. And it's like, oh, actually, that's what I needed to hear today. I could use that. Well, then it's good for you. It doesn't matter who gave it to you. And it doesn't matter if it's true or not. And sometimes with these psychology experiments, you know, in um, Daniel Kahneman's famous book, uh, Thinking Fast and Slow, mm -hmm. after the book came out and was a big seller, some people tried to repeat some of his tests that he did in that book and couldn't repeat them and found out. And so... So do we say that's it? The whole book is false now? Mm. Just throw out the whole thing? In fact, just toss it in the fire. It's of no use to us. No, it doesn't matter if it's true or not. What matters is if it's useful to you. So it's not true that, that uh, there's a tiger behind your tail. But if that believing that makes you run faster, then that's useful to you. Uh, so, no, I already had a huge chunk of... Um, we call it take it with a grain of salt <laughs> uh, i don't know where mm -hmm. that saying comes from whenever i would hear anybody say this is the way 
whether it's a religion or if it's a book or whatever, anybody who says this is the way, I think, okay, well, that's that's a way. <laughs> okay, that may be the way for you. It may help you to believe that since it's your book or your religion. But for me, it's it's a way. Um, so I already had that. I'm sorry, I think there was a second part to your question. I've forgotten. No, I think I think um, that's yeah that's that that answers it i think in a in a very real way i mean for me i have to um to confess that i have this moment stuck in my head where i'm 18 or something at the height of my uh reading buddhism and talking to mm -hmm. my then 33 year old sister and telling her no no you don't understand i'm going to be just like buddha like i took it so seriously i'm going to be yeah. um completely enlightened very soon actually <laughs> You know, and then I I remember getting getting to to be thirty three, and thinking it was mm. like, oh, I'm now the age, um, in which my sister told me that um it's going to pass, and I was like, no, wow. <laughs> you know, <laughs> I was like, wow. oh yeah, I'm glad I'm not there. So I'm I'm glad to hear that mm. in your case you were spared <laughs> the, the embarrassment of going through something like well that. <laughs> yeah okay that, that was a, that's a really fun example that's because uh, yeah we all know that feeling of being a teenager and yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a search for identity sometimes isn't it you know the way that I, I lived in Los Angeles for years and I would see people get so into yoga like they would move to Los Angeles for whatever reason coming from anywhere <laughs> and Los Angeles has this culture of yoga a lot of people like doing yoga so they'd go to a yoga class but they wouldn't just do the yoga. They would buy into the whole persona. They mm. would start speaking in a certain way. They would say namaste at random moments. <laughs> they would change the decoration of their house. And and just like they would take on this persona of a yoga person, right? Like that's who they wanted to be. And we see that with people who uh, get uh, Harley Davidson motorcycles and just, you know, the leather jacket, this, the tattoos. And they just like want to be in this club it's a it's an identity it's people searching mm -hmm. for who am i i need to pick um yeah political parties oh shit I, like i i don't i don't mess with that but people treat <laughs> their political party like a religion you know um yeah yeah tell me it. about it it's <laughs> again yeah. again israel yeah you're gonna find some um some nut jobs that that are very much uh, staunch supporters of some uh fantasy um, kind of religion um yeah. yeah i think i think that's that's the even uh like meta level to you know going beyond just whatever works for you but understanding that instead like you have to move away from the stage in your life where you're looking up to authorities to kind of mm. um going through a coming of age and realizing that hey you know there is uncertainty and i have to become the author of my own story and mm. I'm not going to um, to go up to somebody else who's an authority but I'm going to be an author and also my own authority which is something that's really interesting to me because Ooh, yeah. how do you know how do you get conviction about something right it's it's so weird like how how do you do that is it just thinking about something x number of times or is it seeing it with your own eyes that's usually you know um and i don't know do you have any thoughts of, on that i still think it comes back to that idea of what works for you that if 
a belief like shakes your body in some way, like makes you go like, oh my God, yes, yes, this is it. This is so true. <laughs> what it's really telling you is like, this is what you needed right now, right? Mm. Like in my story, like to suddenly believe like, I'm going to pretend there's a tiger right behind me. Oh my God, yes, this is working for me. I'm running twice as fast. This is what I needed. Or like, I'm going to bring a shovel today and and make this trail a better place. It's like, ah, oh, this is what I needed right now. You know, like, I've been running for myself for too long. What I really needed was a was a belief that would uh, that would make me take these different actions that suit who I am now. Like each time somebody really holds on to a belief, I think what they're saying is, like, this is what I need right now. This works for me. Mm. Now I, I really like it, you know, because in my mind it makes me realize that there's there's something inherently softer and more self-loving about uh, the way you describe it because trying to stick to one way of life is always more coercive in a sense right mm. you're always you're always working on sort of superimposing whatever is in your head on onto reality and that takes a lot of energy instead of being more fluid and and accepting and kind of moving from one thing to another. And now that I think of it, that this is not a very common um, trait in people or not common enough. I, I, mm. I, I don't see it in myself enough now that I think about it. It's what I worry about isms, <laughs> um, whether it's a religion or even just a collection of beliefs, certain philosophy you know, stoicism, humanism, pragmatism. Uh, I don't even know that much about philosophy, but... Good. That's when, good. Some <laughs> when somebody buys into one saying, this is it, um, this is my ism, this is my thing, I'm going to apply this to everything in life. The truth is that you don't apply one approach to everything in li your life. You treat your children differently than you treat your friends, differently than you treat your uh, the mayor of your community or, you know, your community leader, differently than you treat the, uh, the people that run your country. You know, like you could have different political philosophies even. Like when it comes to your country, you could be a libertarian. When it comes to your community, you could be, let's say, a liberal. And when it comes to your family, you could be a socialist. Uh, believe in sharing everything um you could have different approaches so to to subscribe to just one and say this is me this is my political belief this is my philosophical belief i think it 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 smells like somebody's just yearning for certainty but haven't really thought it all the way through yeah yeah i i accept that i have this um like uncanny experience having a podcast which you might know because you've been talking to people a lot um but basically i would record now with derek sivers in two days time i'll be recording with somebody else and then i'll find myself saying the phrase yearning for certainty right <laughs> and this is like this is something that derek says two two days ago and then you realize as you go from recording to recording from conversation to conversation that we're, we're really more just um, 
yeah, just a, a phenomenon of interactions that are happening with us. And I'm actually channeling every other person that I'm speaking through. And that's actually mm. a really nice touch in The Big Lebowski, uh, cult film at this point. But if you notice carefully, they um, different characters repeat things that they've heard over the radio or from other characters. And I think that's, that's so true. And it helps... Um, it helps understand that we're much more malleable than we really are and we have less control than we think about our actual self and the opinions held within. Hmm. <laughs> Thanks for a big Lebowski reference. I love that movie so much. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah, actually, I hadn't thought about that in a long time, about the... The Big Lebowski, yeah, it's like they, yeah, people repeat the phrases that they've heard from others earlier in earlier scenes. Yeah, it starts, it starts, um, just the very first scene is him in a supermarket and in the, in the, on the TV, um, the president at the time, um, uh, Bush senior, I guess, says this aggression will not stand in Iraq or something <laughs> like that. And then later on, <laughs> later on, he just says it to some m mafia person or something like this will not stand you know and it's like yes <laughs> oh that's beautiful i you know it's funny i thought about it in some other ways i didn't ever pay attention to things like what was playing on the tv in that movie thanks for that oh that's so much fun well let's yes, see how many do that <laughs> let's see how many times you watched it because in my case it's probably over 30 so <laughs> yeah in my case it's probably more like eight but uh god i love that movie but i still hadn't noticed that wow um yeah. Um, you know, my little story of running in the forest, It's there's a certain point where you actually just enjoy trying on different things. Mm. Let me try closing my eyes today. Let me try singing today. It's sometimes you just, it's part of the fun of life. You just want to try on different approaches. Let's see how this feels. In fact, I think it's kind of like part of the experiment of seeing what works for you. The only way to know is to try things. So it's, yes, we we hear podcasts. We listened to an interview with somebody's listening to this interview today in the future, and they'll be thinking about something we said tonight, and they'll try it on in some way. They'll they'll like right. say it in front of their family or say it to a friend the next day, or they'll try a different approach uh, uh, the next day, and and then they'll listen to your next week's podcast and do the same. And that's that's the fun of life is trying these things on, and then the then the parts that stick to you kind of become your personality in a way. Your personality, who you are is the culmination of a thousand little choices of what you chose to adopt and keep. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, um, I, I make the point often in conversations that, you know, morality, we, we get the word morality and it's so loaded for us because it's about good and evil and what's mm. right, what's wrong. Um, but it just comes from, uh, ultimately from Latin moss, which is habit or custom, and hmm. um, or ethos in, in Greek is the same idea. It's basically just that your personality is the is the is all your habits together, right? And there's really even a person who's um, supposedly immoral just has a different morality, a different set of habits, and tweaking with those is um, it's very important that that we're going to be playful about these things as, as you say and i think that's the 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 hardest part for us and maybe the, there's something to ponder is like why is it so hard for us usually to 
to be playful about these things? Why do we um, kind of clutch and and cling onto a, a certain um, image or or self instead of being playful with that? Is it because we think that make believe is for kids and pretending is for kids, and we need to feel like we're grown up now? We're gonna. I only believe what's real. And so mm. kids can say like, they can have a blast saying like pretending that a monster is chasing them and pretending to you know, hide or pretending that they are a, a doctor or pretending that they're the, uh, that they are the monster, you know, like they could do this just for fun, but then we were grown up and, and this idea of like, uh, you know, pretend there's life after death. We don't say that. Somebody yeah. says like, no, I believe there's life after death. And, and they can only feel good about that if they really say that this is true. This is, way it, this is the way it is. This is, they can only feel the, the peace that they need inside if they feel that this is true. Not that, not, they don't say like, I like to pretend <laughs> that there's life after <laughs> death because that makes me feel good. No. Yeah, like what the hell is wrong with that? Yeah, that that is yeah. I really like this angle because um, you know I think there's this problem with the with our education system mainly is that we're again going back to the structure of your book and and giving us giving us spoon feeding us the co the correct opinion right, which is dogma, and um, mm. expecting us to simply um, parrot it back and live our, our lives by it, right, um, and abide by them. And that takes all the playfulness out, out of the thing. And then something magical happens and we hit 18 or 21 or whatever the threshold in the country you live in, which is kind of arbitrary as well. And then suddenly you're a grown-up. And as a grown-up, you're not being spoon-fed um, things anymore. You're already trained. There's, there's, uh, they're not worried that you're going to think for yourself. <laughs> You've been going through this for 18 years or whatever. But yeah. now... You, you're supposed to actually know everything and never, um, never show that that you don't know or, or that there's any kind of uncertainty, right? And then you assume on this person, uh, on this person who knows, um, when in fact there are a lot of things that you weren't prepared for by your um, dogmatic education. Hmm. Ah, yeah, this is fun. Um... You know, the, the, my interest in this subject, my little story of running through the forest, comes from a few things I've chosen to believe in the past. Like I, when I found myself blaming other people too much for things that happened in my life, I instead tried on the opposite, which is to assume that everything is my fault. Yeah, everything, even everything, in the, the, the uh, Putin attacking Ukraine. That's my fault. <laughs> <laughs> I could have done something about that. That's my fault. I take full responsibility for that. Uh, everybody that's ever a, a jerk today on the highway, that's my fault. I could have found a way to reach out to them. I could have done some kind of outreach program to make people kinder <laughs> drivers. It's my fault. Uh, everything that's ever gone wrong in my life, everything that anybody ever did was entirely my fault. That feels good to me. That feels empowering. That that it's, it feels really nice to stop thinking like a victim. And so I shared that belief once on my blog, and 
a lot of people commented, like, that's not true. How dare you? That's awful. Or <laughs> I'm racked with guilt all the time. I hate this idea that you just said. The idea that everything's my fault. I think I would just literally kill myself because I oh, feel God. guilty all the time. So, so two things there. For one, this idea of like, no, that's wrong. Don't believe anything that's not true. That's wrong. Mm. So stop it. And two, like, no, that doesn't. I hate that. It's like, well, okay, this, I wasn't saying this is for you, and I'm not saying it's true. I'm saying this works for me for now. Like this is, and so I can choose to hold a belief because it changes my actions. Right? Like we're emotional creatures, right? So beliefs affect our emotions, and emotions affect our actions, right? Like for most people, facts don't change our actions. Mm -hmm. Facts are things we use to kind of support a belief which then affects our emotions, which then affects our actions. Mm. So you can choose to just hardwire that, to just say, I'm going to choose to believe this. Everything is my fault because it gives me this emotion, which then makes me feel like not a victim. That makes me feel better, which then helps me take better actions because I don't believe that anything else, that anything is someone else's responsibility. It's all up to me. That helps me feel more powerful and take more powerful actions, right? Um, that's just one example. I've got some more. There were times when I chose to believe that I'm below average because that made me feel dumb, <laughs> which made me try harder to learn. Whereas when mm. I felt above average, I felt a little too smug and confident. I wasn't learning as much. I was feeling like I had the answers. When I feel dumb, I'm full of questions. When I feel smart, I, I have only answers. Um, and that, that reminds me of the Picasso quote. Picasso said, computers are useless. They can only give you answers. Love that. <laughs> it, it remind, oh. Reminding you the value of questions. Um, That's fantastic. So anyway, th these are beliefs that I've chosen to adopt. And it's always been striking to me when somebody says, but that's not true. I'm like, who cares? What do you mean true? What do you care about true? <laughs> I'm choosing to believe this. And it honestly wasn't until this conversation with you right now that I thought about the just the, like pretending, childish pretending. It's you pretend something because it works for you right now. It's fun. It makes you feel better. It changes your actions. Yeah. Well, that's all I aspire to be is an idea generator uh, with the help of mm. other people coming on here. That's that's the point. Um, so I'm happy that oh. that happened. Yeah. It's um, first of all, I think I think it's amazing that it comes naturally to you to to kind of let go, and maybe that comes with practice. I don't know. I think intuitively it's quite hard for people to take themselves seriously i think because in our own mind it's it's kind of a loop that goes on and on right like a kind of spiral like if i'm not playful with the things then i'm less likely to take myself um seriously i need i need my own voice to be like this authority figure which decides things mm. and i don't want to view this authority figure as unreliable therefore um i'm going to listen it, to it very much instead of kind of challenging it um in a way and it reminds me of an episode from my life where um i was about to turn 20 probably and coming out of a long while where i was pretty depressed and it felt almost strange because a number of books that i had read and a number of kind of internal um, processes that i was going through led me to a point where i just kind of got into this 
mode of fake it till you make it. And I was like, I'm happy. I'm I'm happy. Mm. I've been happy for a long while. I'm going to be happy from now from now on. Mm-hmm. Um, totally worked. Couldn't tell you how. Couldn't explain. Mm-hmm. But now I'm thinking, you know, there's no physical law of nature that stops us from waking up somebody different in the morning. So <laughs> yeah. we have the capability of doing it. There is no physical law of nature to stop us from doing it. I like that. I forgot about fake it till you make it. That's another great example. (laughs) Fake it till you make it is choosing. Yeah, that is pretending. It's choosing. It's pretending you're confident until you feel confident or pretending you know what you're doing until you know what you're doing. That's a wonderful example. (laughs) And yeah. And yeah, the the idea of like we can't we can always wake up somebody different. Um, there's a there's a wonderful book you, you would probably like. I think called "The Courage to Be Disliked." Do you know this one? Mm-hmm. I have heard you the, do. The, uh, I have heard the the title before. Definitely. Oh, yeah, you would really like it. It emphasizes this idea that um, everything in the past um, are just individual dots. There's no line connecting them. Mm. Uh, we don't need to make it a story. You know, this happened in April. This happened in June. There's not, it wasn't cause and effect. There's not a line connecting those two things. It's just this happened in April. This happened in June. Those two things don't have to be connected. They're just two things that happened. We try to make everything into a story because that's in our DNA somehow, this need to make everything into a story. Mm-hmm. But that's false. And so same with us, with our lives, that... Yeah. Um, yesterday you were Eol, <laughs> that version, and tomorrow you could be Eol, a completely different one. Uh, in fact, you could change your name tomorrow. <laughs> so, uh, <laughs> just the fact that you were, you had these preferences and habits yesterday doesn't mean you'll have them tomorrow. That's a wonderful reminder. Yeah. And, uh, I think it, it ties back to being, to being playful and, and creative in, Kind of, and and you mentioned stories. So again, I think the the concept of of authorship comes up when you take charge, when you are able to to write your story and be creative with it, um, because ultimately your ability to play different parts and to have a large repertoire of emotions of um, possible actions when you're less predictable, not just to others, but also to yourself, means that in context, in real time, you have a, a larger uh, repertoire of actions to, to choose from, and it's not going to be completely weird to you. So you can be mm. mentally nimble, right? And that brings resilience, that brings fittingness, and that brings ultimately much better flow. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, in in terms of um, yeah, I wonder if if the if the idea of like authoring your own life kind of resonates with you in in different junctions where you felt like because I know um I've heard you on other podcasts saying that. You know, it it really matters to you. Some things really matter to you and you're going to do them um, your way. And I was interested in like Uh kind of 
looking into that and thinking about how this came about, uh, kind of taking control of how things are and mm. not just going with the f flow that is maybe the norm. Ah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, wow, that's changing gears. Sorry. It's, we've been kind of talking on one <laughs> subject for most of this conversation, uh, which has been really fun. So, yeah, to change gears, um, I think we all do that in a way. If something really matters to you, if you care a lot, you probably want to control it a bit more, right? A carpenter who knows how to carve wood probably has strong opinions about how he wants the table and chairs in his kitchen to be mm. because this is this is something he does all day the carpenter carves all day and and um will have more opinions about that than say his television i'll be like oh we'll just just pick up any good tv that's fine but the chair no 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 no, no. hold on <laughs> i want these kind of legs it has to have this kind of see the arch here you know they'll have more opinions a carpenter will have more opinions about the chair than the tv perhaps and so i find that too that uh, I'm kind of unusual compared to most people in the fact that I I got um, I got onto the internet really really early before it was commercial, like in 1994, and just learned the nuts and bolts of things. So I learned my own like Linux server administration and how to do everything at the command line and how to program my own servers and and so then as the internet got more popular and companies like uh, Google and Facebook say, no, 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 here, we'll take care of your email for you. We'll take care of, of, of keeping track of all of your friends for you. We'll do that for you. You don't have to do that. I thought, well, I don't, I don't need you. I know how to do this myself. So I still, for things that matter to me, I still like to code them myself, right? So if you get my book uh, or books, you go to Sivers.com. I made that whole website myself by hand. I made my own store by hand because I care about how my books are sold. I want them to be sold in a way that I think is better than Amazon or even the, you know, the book layout itself, you know, like I, I, uh, did all of the layout and used a program called latex that digs right down into the very code of how books are printed at, at uh, printing presses. I didn't use Adobe or something like that, that just hands it off to another program where I just drag my mouse around. No, I wanted to like get into the code. And, uh, yeah, when you go to my website, SIVE.RS. Uh, my blog it's again every line of code i did it myself because i care this is my this is what's left when i die is this website that's it um yeah you know, I, my website I, and my bicycle that's all that's left when i die <laughs> um yeah i was i was very relieved when i told you oh we're going to do this on riverside and you were like oh i know riverside that's great and i was like oh good he didn't code his own podcasting <laughs> software <laughs> Guess what? I almost did. I have. If you go to earmouth.com, I've never announced this publicly before. If you go to earmouth.com, E-A-R-M-O-U-T-H.com, I started coding my own, uh, like, con it was just conversation recording. It was meant for to record conversations between friends. Um, but I oh, abandoned it because that's so uh, funny. Yeah, it was that's a few so years funny. ago. But yes, I almost started coding my own. Wouldn't that be funny? Uh, in fact, the, the thing that you, uh, when you booked this conversation with me, I didn't want to use mm -hmm. Calendly. Uh, so I booked right. my own schedule. I made, built my own scheduling software. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, I, but, I'm a nerd but, like this... that. but see, that's just also it's like the creative carpenter thing, right? Uh, the, mm -hmm. the reason somebody's a carpenter unless they're only doing it for the money is they enjoy it. It's fun. They, they love the smell of wood. <laughs> I love the, the look of code. They, they enjoy having the tools in their hands. I enjoy having my fingers at the terminal and coding. Uh, I just enjoy doing it. It's creative. It's fun.
that's awesome yeah and the, and if we're to to um kind of connect it to the to the last subject is it uh, does it it's it's not just coding though right you see it um transferring to to other domains of of your life where you feel like because of um yeah just because you're able to to think about things from more perspectives you can better uh, um tailor your own lifestyle yeah i don't know where that might just come from not feeling a need to be normal <laughs> i don't know but yeah if, <laughs> like i, I i'm Hell, a weird, yeah I'm, I'm, <laughs> I'm very um minimalist you know i only have one pair of pants i don't own many things uh <laughs> my house looks somebody came over to my house where i'd lived for many years and like walked in and said do you live here <laughs> like, there's <laughs> nothing here this this is your home like well yeah i've got everything i need it's like you know i don't you know, I didn't put a plant. I didn't hang pictures on the wall. I don't. I don't need that. I'm good. Uh, so yeah, I guess I just. I don't try to be normal. Um, I don't know why not. Yeah. I I don't know, but I I need to bring in an expert on on uh, that could tell me what it is. Is this this just temperament for people who don't have the need to be normal, or maybe even have a need not to be normal? Um, mm. No, I don't think it's a, it's not a need to deliberately not be normal. There are some ways in my life where I'm just normal. I think it's just with, with everything in my life. I like, I think I just enjoy the process of thinking it, of it from scratch. Like, why am I doing this? What's the real point? What do I really need? Hold on. Like, let me remember the, what do you call it? First principles or whatever. Like, what am mm -hmm. I really doing here? And so I go back from scratch and I'll just put a few time, a few hours in my diary of thinking about this. Like, well, if what I really need is da, 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 then what's the most effective, efficient, direct way to get it? Well, then I would just do this. Okay, but do I need all these other steps that people do? I guess I really don't, do I? Well, let me just try it. Let's see what happens. And so I'll just try something and do it my own direct way and find out that that works for me. And uh, then people look at me and think that it's weird. And I think, well, okay, I don't care. It works for me. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I I find that it's uh, that it's very very important um, when doing philosophy, and I don't mean philosophy from the philosophy department, which is basically just saying what the other guy said on what year in what book and all that. But doing actual philosophy, trying to live well, you know, I think it's um, unfortunately not that common for people to look further into like why am I doing this, questioning it. Right? Mm -hmm. It's so easy for us to fall into the um, just the old habits that we we've just seen our parents do and then other people do so yeah i think there is there probably is a connection there between not being normal and being uh, playful and tweaking with things yeah i think tim ferris does it really well i think that's what people really loved about his first book for the four-hour work week is that it proposed a bunch of radically unusual ideas that were all just kind of thought of from scratch for the effectiveness. Like, well, what I really want is 10 good clients, not 90 bad ones and 10 good ones. So I'll just get rid of the other 90. <laughs> it's like, oh, you did what? You got rid of 90 clients to keep only 10? Or, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to just fit everything that needs to be done for the week into four hours. You know, that was the whole gist of the title, right? Mm -hmm. um, and it's, it's funny. So I'm Tim is a friend and like a few weeks ago, I was asking him about um, conversations with friends. If he ever had trouble because he's so famous, um, when he 
has a conversation with a friend, does he ever have trouble with people not pushing back at him and just kind of going, ha ha ha, Tim, you're right. And uh, <laughs> he, sa- he said, you know what I do when I really want pushback on my ideas? He said, I actually, I hire a journalist and I hire a lawyer because that's their job is to push back on what they hear. He said, I'll actually sometimes hire a journalist and a lawyer and book them for an hour each. To, and I bounce ideas off of them because I know they're going to push back and disagree with everything I say. I'm like, oh my God, that's really smart. Whoa. Just like instead of trying to find friends that will push back, you just, yeah, you just find two people that do that for a job and just pay somebody uh, hopefully, to have that conversation. Hopefully you. hopefully you can still push back for him because it's it's genius, but you also they also have to be in te- very intelligent um, lawyers and stuff, like people mm. who actually come up with good ideas. But right. um, it it really just it challenge your me. own. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, it's 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 fascinating for me to to hear what um, famous people have to do differently <laughs> because of the circumstances mm. they live in. It sounds right. um, so out there right now. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's um, you know, for me, like just recently, I've just gone on this. Um, I'm actually making one of these transitions and and trying to to act a little differently, uh, being playful with things because I really want to um, to push this uh, podcast forward. And so I've been finding myself actually doing these uh, little games with myself, and it's actually uh, really hard. And I'm definitely going to now think more about from first principles about how to be effective about these things because. This is you. You want to find solutions that not just to to not do the usual thing, right? But I think that also working with limitations that you know about yourself. So, for example, I don't love social media. I love Twitter because I can approach people and I can make friends across the globe and all that. But I don't like sustaining uh, an account where I have to publish mm. things about my podcast, right? So then mm. it it drives you to create uh, to think creatively about these things right and solve for them and i know i'm interested to ask for you like isn't it the case that eventually there is an answer like it's it's harder to find but there's almost a way to do everything in just the way you want don't you find it like that it can be you can find i think you always have to add the words for now to the end and mm. for now might continue for the rest of your life or for now might last 10 years or it might last 10 weeks. Always add that to your head that uh, because it will let you expire past ones that felt like forever decisions. And you have to admit to yourself that that's not needed anymore. Like I, I adopted that habit six years ago and it was needed then. It's, it's what I needed then. It was the answer then. But you know what? Six years later, that's not the answer for me anymore. I don't. I can let go of that now. Um, yeah, I think it always helps to try to think directly. What's the best way for me to get to where I want to go right now? Um, but then be prepared to let go of those in the future. Yeah, and so would you say that it's? For, for that matter, like it would probably go to uh, shop around for opinions from people who are other creative thinkers, I guess. And now I'm imagining. Oh, like from anywhere. This, yeah. 
I mean, they don't even have oh, right. to be particularly brilliant creative thinkers. You know, like I, I said earlier about like you can oh, get the great drunk wisdom at the bar. Yeah. from a drunk at the bar. Yeah. Um, you can get it from anywhere. Uh, I th- find it really useful to actually scramble up and read books and listen to podcasts or whatever by people that you wouldn't ordinarily listen to. Um, I like right now, one little example is uh, Jordan Peterson. I think a lot of people are opposed to him because he's kind of like put himself into a political camp. But I wasn't even aware of that. I just heard that there's this book called 12 Rules and I read it knowing nothing about him. I was like, wow, this is really brilliant. There are a lot of really interesting ideas in here. It doesn't mm-hmm. mean that I'm going to uh, now subscribe to everything else he believes in life, but you know, just take the book for what it is. There's some great ideas in there, but it's coming from the source of somebody that I uh, ordinarily wouldn't have tuned into if I was just staying in my social circles, you know? Um, and I like doing that with, uh, you know, the book that I mentioned earlier, The Courage to be Disliked. That was a Japanese author channeling an Austrian psychologist that was a contemporary of Freud. So you get mm-hmm. like a very different perspective uh, from a book like that. Um, but yeah, it's, it's really useful to to scramble up your inputs, to hear different points of view, and then even deliberately think metaphorically. It can be really good for you to say like, read a book on... I don't know, physics or the history of emu farming (laughs) or something like that that's out of your realm and think metaphorically about how this might apply to your life. You might pick up some really useful philosophies from an emu farmer that you never would have considered because the people in your usual echo chamber don't say these things. Yeah, Um, yeah. I'm I'm reminded of uh, a little story that a friend told me in America when I was in America and he said he had hitchhiked with this truck driver and at some point they talked about global warming or fracking or something like that and the Mm -hmm. truck driver just told him like what are you getting out of the soil there it's oil right what does oil do in my truck it lubricates right so it doesn't heat up so it's like oh so what do you think is happening underground when this oil is taken out. And my friend was like, yeah, I have no idea if this is true, but I really like this guy's Uh thinking, you know? It's Uh making the connection and um, creating some sort of uh, interesting uh, new idea there. And it's interesting for me now because I'm thinking like we've been talking about authority figures and how they, the people who want to give you their opinion and they become maybe very good at that, like gurus and leaders. But it's also an interesting experiment to maybe go out on the street and just ask the cab driver and the butcher and just all these people. Mm-hmm. I was like, hey, you know what? I have a podcast. I want to grow it. I want to grow it so bad. I was like, how would you do it? And it was like, mm-hmm. sure, most of them will say, I don't know. But maybe one of them <laughs> will be this amazing authority all of a sudden that will give you the, <laughs> the million okay. dollar idea. All right, Eel, here's... Let's use that as an example. So this is you, you know, listeners will have their own version of that. But you just asked an interesting question, which is like, yeah, asking a cab driver, how can I grow my podcast? But I think what I'd put back to you is like, why do you want to grow your podcast? Like, what's the real point? Like, what's the real point of growing your podcast? Um, 
going back 20 minutes, this is what Tim Ferriss said he always likes about his conversations with me is I'm always doing to this to him. Like he's around a lot mm-hmm. of people that are very rich and he's talking about like how to make more money with his investments. And I'm always like, why do you want more money? Right. <laughs> like, for what? What's the point of that? What, what would you do with that? Is there something you can't afford right now? What's the real point? And so, because I've thought about this too, like selling more books, right? In my case, I'm like, Sometimes I'll catch myself wondering how to sell more books. Then I stop and I'm like, wait, why do I want to sell more books <laughs> to reach more people? Why do I want to reach more people? So I can feel more famous? <laughs> like, do I want that? Have I enjoyed feeling more famous in the past? No. Uh, why do I think I want more of that? Um, what really matters? And so in that case, like I, I just recently figured out it matters much more to me to win the respect of 10 people I admire matters more to me than winning the respect of a million people that I don't admire. So I realized that, yeah, even if, even if I suddenly had 1 million more readers tomorrow, that actually wouldn't matter to me at all. In fact, I think it might be a bit of a pain in the butt to have right. a million people contacting me or just like suddenly would have to put up barriers and assistance in a way that I don't know. But if I write in such a way that I can win the respect of 10 people I admire, that means a lot more to me. And I think believing that or choosing that belief will make me a better writer. I won't be writing for a million. I'll be writing for 10. And I think that'll make me a better writer. So it's a question. Make sure you're questioning your questions. Yeah, yeah, no, I love it. I mean, this is you. This is you being a dialectician because we want to have an anchor up there that we're aiming our actions towards, right? Um, mm. Just to throw out a bit of dialectic here, but good—the concept of good—is a relation, really meaning the fitting. So, if I'm doing something, it's good for something, which is good for something, and we want something that's. Um, that's always a, a sure a, a sure thing that you can aim for that's actually good because money can be destructive for some people to have right they could mm-hmm. they, they could uh, self destruct um but yeah i mean to answer your your question seriously about my podcast is first of all is because i try to align um the benefit of me of even my guests it's very important for me that this is a fun podcast to do and the benefit of listeners who might come on here and get these ideas that they can play with right and apply in their lives and see what sticks um Mm -hmm. so that's one aspect then there's the aspect of actually um, of actually making a living and you know I had imposter syndrome for, for the longest time but now that I have 60 something episodes like I definitely would like to um, to to see what it is and the third thing is I think just this game that I've been playing running in the forest where I'm basically saying it was like hey here's Tim, Tim Ferris, like 100 feet in front of me let's see if I can catch him um, mm. so okay. there's that too and curiosity it's like sure i completely believe you that being famous is not great and i've read um tim ferris's blog post on how much it can suck yeah. being famous uh-huh. um and i believe that but i'm also a curious um, creature so it's like i don't i don't want to get that famous i'm i don't want to be that rich but mm-hmm. um just to a point where hey you know i've experienced something more 
cool. Good answers. It helps <laughs> you know why it works for you. I mean, that, yeah, that's that's answering why. That's really cool. Yeah. It would be fun, you know, n- not right now, but like on on a deeper dive. <laughs> a different time. <laughs> an to, even uh, deeper dive. Yeah. An even deeper dive. A deeper 2.0. Uh, to... To question each one of those things too, because even those you might be kind of confabulating and rationalizing and making up, like oh, but I want that. Oh, oh but this, uh, I'm just curious. That might not be your real answer, because um, hmm. somebody could give you a, uh, like the movie Total Recall. They could implant a little dream into your brain that would just give you that feeling for one night uh, in your imagination. You could be. Uh, it's super famous for one night in your imagination. It's like, okay, and then would that be enough? Like there, it satisfied mm. your curiosity. That's what it would be mm-hmm. like. So now mm. you don't need to uh, add a million true. listeners to your podcast. Um, is that really true? Or was that the real reason? Yeah, it's mm. it's really, really, really helpful to doubt yourself. Doubt everything yeah. you say. Doubt your beliefs. Doubt even when you give some answer, even privately in your diary, you say this, yeah, this is why. It's like you always question it. Always go, mm, I might be lying without realizing it yeah absolutely and you know the curiosity part reminds me a beautiful um, section from Kurt Vonnegut's book uh, Mother Night I don't know if you're a fan of his but he's a hero of mine mm-hmm. complete hero of mine um, but there's a I, I got a to meet him in person before he died sorry oh my god my now yeah. oh, now you just melted my heart just thinking of it just like, <laughs> I asked whoa. him to name my band uh, I, I like said like I, I've got a band um what do you think I should name it? I was like, I was so hoping he was like going to give me a word or two to name my band. And I was going to say, this is, you know, why is my band called this? Because Kurt Vonnegut named it. But instead he was like, well, you know, a lot of people have named their bands after my books. I was like, oh, well, I, I tried. Yeah. <laughs> what a disappointment. There you go. <laughs> no, um, I mean, it was still great. It's like, wow, I got to meet Kurt Vonnegut. I'm sorry to interrupt. I just, I, I so rarely hear anybody mention Kurt Vonnegut. I had to No, that's a, that's a welcome interruption. It just makes my day that I know someone who's known him Um, (laughs) one degree of separation yes yes (laughs) um but in his book uh his main character in mother night is this internally conflicted uh spy and at some point he just stands in the street and he's not moving an inch to to any side and he's just saying um it's not because i i didn't have love anymore i learned by now to live without love and it's not because of uh, I don't believe in God anymore. I learned to live without God, and it's basically what's really missing is the curiosity. I'm not curious about mm. anything that's in any direction. And then a policeman comes and he's like, uh, "What are you doing, sir?" And he's like, "Nothing. I'm doing nothing." It's like, "Shouldn't you move along, sir?" And he's like, "Okay." And then I move. Right? It's, he was like waiting for this. Just uh, external external motivation that's not really motivating on on some high level, but it just got him moving. And um, wow, sometimes that that's necessary. Even that's a good one. Huh. <laughs> um, yeah, that's like we could add that to the running in the forest story. You know, you got have some people ch- uh, <laughs> standing at random points in the forest, making sure you keep moving. Uh, the uh I, you know where I thought you were going with that um it's a different book I don't remember where he said um you are whatever you pretend 
to be. Oh yeah, no. So that's 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 the introduction to this book, to Mother Night. I oh, be- okay. I, I believe all so. Right. Yeah, mm-hmm. because it's um, all about pretension. The book. Yeah, I really like that. Like you are whatever you pretend to be. Mm-hmm. Uh, and this again, goes like back to playfulness, right? This mm-hmm. this goes back to to my days as a depressed person who's kind of is done with it, and I'm like. I'm going to try and be something different now because, you know what, I've been mulling over the thought of killing myself for a few years now. And it's like, I just realized that, like it or not, we're going to die at 80. So I have (laughs) 60 years left to see other things. I don't have to worry about dying because it's happening down the road. It's like, why rush things? (laughs) Nice. There was, uh, I think there's, um, it might be called 30 True Things. Uh, If Anybody listening to this, anybody curious enough to enjoy El's style, you might like my book list. Um, not my own books, but I've read over... Well, no, I've taken notes on the last 340-something books I've read since 2007, and I put them all for free on my website. Uh, so whenever I'm reading a book, I underline my favorite ideas. I'm not trying to make a synopsis or a summary of the book. I just underline the bits that I think are the most interesting. And then later I put those all into a text file and then I put them on my website so the world can enjoy my favorite ideas from the book. And um, I think it was a book called 30 True Things. Uh, it was a, somebody that's been a psychiatrist for decades, um, meeting with patients, you know, sitting on his couch talking about their life. And so he's met a lot of people that have talked about killing themselves. Mm. And he said, my first question is, is not, why do you want to kill yourself? But, well, then why are you still alive? Like, Why haven't you gone for it? Yeah, what's keeping you here? And and to just flip the focus onto that, like what's mm. keeping you alive? Why haven't you done it? He just said always changes the conversation for the better. Wow. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's, that's one, that's one way to like throw a, a curveball at yourself, right? It's <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. Um, Wondering if there's anything else that we could connect to um, to the theme here, or anything that, that there comes are so to mind. many things. <laughs> I, I honestly, I think my next book is going to be called "Useful, Not True." I'm mm. fascinated with this subject of choosing your beliefs, uh, not because they're true, but just whether they're useful to you. Well, and I, this yeah. whole conversation reminded me of the playful aspect of it. Yeah, and I'm I'm going to annoy you by saying by saying this, this sounds a lot like pragmatism. You've subscribed to pragmatism now. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> I don't subscribe to anything, but I'm going to learn. I just learned about that term last week. I had never heard of the uh, school of philosophy called pragmatism because I never studied philosophy. So I just somebody just told me last week about yeah, pragmatism. again so, again like, it's 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 your advantage over um, those <laughs> people in philosophy departments um yeah any idea when it's when it's going to be finished oh, pff, dude i just had the idea a week ago <laughs> no okay <relax>. gotcha. <laughs> um so uh no i mean i really i've really enjoyed our conversation and being able to talk about this and i'm really glad that you took my how to live book like that Uh, it was really fun to think about the undermining of authority and uh that was a really fun angle on it and i'm i'm glad it took us to uh a really fun conversation yeah i like you yeah (laughs) thank you um yeah if i if i had to sum up yeah it just made me think first of all of the um of how we should probably be uh cautious listening to authorities and then kind of 
taking responsibility over our own lives, facing the uncertainties, being mentally nimble, and authoring our own story the way we want it, because we have that power. Uh, we have that power to um, wake up a different person every day and do the things mm. that we want without um, just taking a, a default route that was... Um, um yeah marked for us uh yeah derek thanks so much this has been amazing and um were there any other online venues where people should look you up at all nope just go to my website I'm, <laughs> I, if you can't tell by now i i answer all my own email i really my favorite thing about doing podcasts like this is because of the people that i meet that you know if you listened to this show all the way to the end you should send me an email and introduce yourself and say hello i like knowing the kind of people that would listen to Eyal Shai's show. So uh, go to my website, sive.rs, and uh, email me. Say hello. That's awesome. And I'll just add that um, very uh, recently I added a Patreon page for the podcast. So if anybody listened and liked it, you can go to patreon.com slash Shai and check out what's on there. Um, yeah, Derek, thanks so much. I really appreciate it. Thanks, you. Yeah.